Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Today's episode is brought to you by Publisher Rocket. Do you know Publisher Rocket? It's one of my favorite tools. Publisher Rocket gives you the edge on Amazon KDP by finding profitable keywords and best-selling categories for your book. See what hungry readers search for on Amazon with Rocket, letting you optimize your seven KDP keywords for more sales. Not every keyword is effective, you know, and Rocket can show you which ones are searched for most often are less competitive and which ones earn more money. Plus, with its AMS ads feature, Rocket generates thousands of advertising keywords in seconds, which will give you profitable keywords so that your ads can make an impact. And if you're going to spend money on Amazon ads, you want them to make an impact. With Rocket, you can discover applicable hidden categories that most authors don't know about on Amazon, which will increase the chance that browsing shoppers stumble on your work and decrease your competition. Find out how many sales it takes to become a bestseller in each category, as well as how much other authors are earning off of their Amazon books every month. Not only that, but Rocket has a phenomenal support staff filled with real experienced people to help you on your journey. Rocket comes with a 30-day no questions asked guarantee, so you can try it without any risk. It has a single fee with no subscription, my favorite thing these days, so you only have to pay once for full lifetime access to all its features. New readers can only enjoy your work if they find it among the thousands of other books published every day on Amazon. Great authors deserve to be read, so don't let your book languish in obscurity. Get your book noticed with Publisher Rocket. Now guys, Publisher Rocket is one of those tools that I avoided buying for the longest time and I highly regret it. I don't know why I was really, really tight budgeted in the beginning, but Publisher Rocket is an amazing tool. I highly suggest you check it out. There is going to be a link below in the show notes for you to check it out. And as they say, there is a 30-day no questions asked guarantee. But more than that, they have videos on how to use it properly, tons of suggestions. They're really great over there. You can make sure that you use your keywords correctly, your categories correctly, so that your book can just bump up from you know, wherever it is in the black hole of Amazon, right up in front of the correct reader's face so that they can find it, they can read it, they can review it, and you can keep selling more books. Check out the links below to find Publisher Rocket, find out more information. There's also going to be a link to a blog post, which will give you even more information about it below in the show notes.
Beth Barani is an award-winning novelist, master neuro-linguistic programming practitioner, podcaster of How to Write the Future, and certified creativity coach for writers. She specializes in helping writers experience clarity so they can write, revise, and proudly publish their novels to the delight of their readers. Her courses are packed with useful hands-on information that you can implement right away. Her transformational consulting sessions help you step into the author life you want with ease and joy. She runs an online school for fiction writers, including a 12-month group coaching program to help writers develop an editing practice and get published. More resources on publishing, book marketing, and novel writing are on her blog, For and By Creative Writers, The Writer's Fun Zone, writersfunzone.com. When she's not helping writers, Beth writes magical tales of romance, mystery, and adventure that empower women and girls to be the heroes of their own lives. For fun, Beth loves walking her hilly neighborhood, puttering in her garden, and watching YouTube videos about the space industry. Beth lives in Oakland, California with her husband, Ezra, also a novelist, and their cats. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. I was just talking with my guest, Beth, and I believe this is episode 152. My guest today is Beth Barony. Is Did I get that right or not? Barani. Barani, dang it. That's okay. <laughs> Hi, Beth. How are Hi. you doing? Hi, Cats. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. You have a, a ton of things that you do. Um, you're an award-winning novelist, a ma- master neurolinguist programming practitioner, which I think we have to talk about that. You have a podcast as well. You coach, you teach fiction. So before we get into all of that, would you tell us just a little bit about where you're from, a little bit about Beth? Who are you? Sure. I grew up in Northern California, so the wine country, Sonoma Mm. specifically, and pretty much the family hopped around in different towns inside of Sonoma, but I spent the bulk of my childhood in the outskirts of Sonoma, and I even rode my bicycle five miles into into town, five miles home, five miles back for, for middle school and, and for high school a little bit. And that's a long way. (laughs) It is a long ways. And, you know, by driving, what is that like 10 minutes or something? But for me, it was really a wonderful way to start my day. I I didn't know it so much then, but I I mean, I I was the kind of kid who grew up running around, uh, playing hide and seek with my siblings and neighbor friends and, love it climbing trees and riding my bike in the little subdivisions they're building behind our house um, yeah. running around in the vineyards which you were not supposed to do <laughs> eating wine grapes which we were not supposed to do and and playing in ravines i don't know if if you know northern california it can be a little dry up here and we're about 45 minutes to an hour inland from the ocean but okay. there's there's these incredible ravines. And as kids, you would, the creek beds would be dry and we would like run in them and pick blackberries and kind of, kind of a wild childhood. Child of the 70s. Yeah. A lot of runaround time. I really loved it. Of course, I also had my nose in a book a lot of the time. Love libraries from like age seven. Um, I think the librarian was so annoyed with me coming in like maybe every day. (laughs) I don't even remember. She's like, come here. Let me teach you how to use the card catalog. Stop bothering me. Stop bothering me. <laughs> Stop asking me for stories about magic. Let me show you how to find them. <laughs> Were there a lot back then? Or did you I, read them? Uh, I, I, I probably read them all. 
uh, I was reading a lot of folk tales, a lot of fairy tales. Okay. It, yeah, I pretty much read through all of them. By the time I got to middle school, uh, there was um, the kids' stories about um, adventures and solving mysteries. I love those. Mm -hmm. And Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders of Pern was there. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. It helps you survive middle school. Right? Totally. Totally. That and all the amazing children's books. I would go to middle, I would go to the local, I would walk to the local library after school, just like three blocks away. I would pull out of the, the picture book section, like five books at random. I would sit on this amazingly plush blue couch, read those children's books and like ah, kind of relax, de de decompress. And then I would go and find a table and I would do my homework. Nice. I like this. Yeah. I like that. I, I remember reading all the books that I was interested in in my grandfather's uh, library, and then I didn't know what to do anymore. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. I already read all of these books. Yeah. So I started writing, reading biographies of 1930s uh, Hollywood stars. Wow, that's so interesting. You know, my grandfather was all like, well, I don't know. You can't read what I read because it has sex in it. So I was like, okay, these mysteries are not for you. So I, I don't know. <laughs> you know like, oh so the biographies of the Hollywood uh, stars were not exactly PG rated. <laughs> not that he knew that, though. That is hilarious. I started reading Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov because I was getting tired. The, the selection for kids was limited there wasn't yeah. yet this is now we're in the early 80s no ya section yet so right. i jumped to the adult science fiction and fantasy and a lot of it didn't speak to me but i i did find um isaac asimov's short story collections which were amazing and uh and i did for some reason at 13 i decided i should read les miserables oh and my god i don't know where this idea came from and i'm sitting there at my little desk at home I have Les Miserables, which is like four inches thick. And then I have a dictionary, which is also four inches thick. And they're side by side because that's the only way I could get through that book. And and I did it. I felt proud of myself. I learned the word physiognomy. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some words. And uh, and I was writing. I was I was very studious. I had a little list of vocabulary and no. Look at you. Did yeah. you like want to be a translator or did you want to be a writer already at that point? Yeah, I wanted to be a writer from about age seven or eight. And okay. Yeah. And I, I remember writing a story about our cats with my nice. brother, who's a year, little over a year younger than me. And then I have two younger siblings that I grew up with. And, and I remember um, writing it and illustrating it with him. And then I remember hand sewing the binding. Wow. Because a finished product was very important to me and obviously still is. But it, yeah, I can't find it. I've never, I've never found oh, it again. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah. But my dad did give me this cute little square uh, book that I made with my younger siblings. So my first anthology. And it, you can tell that we've all scribbled and drawn in it. And it was to my dad for his birthday. And it's stapled. The binding is stapled. And he gave that to me some years ago. And I have it on my shelf. I'm like, oh, my first anthology. Because I've done a few anthologies <laughs> as an adult. <laughs> I love that. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. So you decided, I mean, you wanted to be a writer. Was that something that you pursued actively once you got into college? No. <laughs> I, I mean, was, it's still hard at that point, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the young people of today have no idea. No, they have no idea. <laughs> I mean, okay. So 
I have artists in the family and my great grandmother mm. was a writer and I knew this from She was published and Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She was you know, she was born in 1900, so when I'm a kid, she's like in her 70s and she's been rediscovered by the feminist movement by then or oh, cool. I should say discovered. Uh, but she's been writing about women and people who are workers and it's, she she was a communist and she was very much about the earth and corn and the feminine experience from a very earthy perspective. So we all knew she was a writer and she was admired by everybody in our family. And my mother really admired her. It was my mother's mother's mother, my mother's grandmother. And so my mom could give me a little bit of advice from, mm -hmm. from great grandma. And I knew great grandma was a writer. Her books were around. We had, she wrote children's books also. Like she has one by oh, cool. about Abraham Lincoln, one by, about Nancy Hanks. Johnny Appleseed, Paul Bunyan, you know, these were part wow. of my childhood. Yeah. So I, I was like, I want to be a writer like great grandma. So, right. but I didn't pursue it in college because I knew from about teenager time, I loved popular fiction. I love science mm -hmm. fiction and fantasy and school was all about, you know, the classics. And yes. I, I was not into the classics. I read them for school. But I didn't want to pursue an English degree because it felt very much like, oh, I'm going to just tear apart manuscripts, uh, books. I'm going to tear them apart. I'm going to critique them. And I'm pretend I, I could have done it better. <laughs> I guess. I don't even know. And I'm going to lose my love of writing and reading. Oh, mostly wow. okay. my love of reading. But I, yeah. So I ended up taking like a rhetoric class, which actually was a really good move, I realized later on. And I ended up being an interdisciplinary major at UC Berkeley. And I also ended up dropping out of school, moving to Paris, coming back, finishing, Ooh. but not quite. Yeah. As a writer should. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And actually in Paris is where my writing career started because I was, you know, taking care of a little boy and I tried to get published like five times. I sent in a mm -hmm. query letter like five times to this a free English newspaper called the Paris Free Voice. And okay. it, you know, nothing came back. They, they didn't even send me a rejection letter. They just didn't reply. <laughs> Straight up ignored you. <laughs> just ignored me. And then finally, my like job circumstances changed. And I was able to like walk into the editor's office. Hi, I'm Beth. And I want to write for you. So I was thinking, what about this idea? And I just pitched him to his face. And I could see his expression. And he was like, hmm. it, he didn't seem that impressed. And I'm like, well, I'm poor. I don't have a lot of money. But I love going to exhibits. What if I did, you know, uh, a little write-up of a free exhibit? And I think there was like a Walt Whitman exhibit in the center of town that was free. And he's like, sure, go. <laughs> it's like probably to get me out get of his out office. Of office. <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you want it that badly, go. And, and so I did. I probably wrote like 300 words and um, sent it to him, walked it in. And he's like, rewrite. He marked it up right there. He's handed it back to me. So I went back to my little... Cool. Garrett room and I rewrote the thing hand it turned it in and that was like really painful but super instructive and that was my first byline and I was I was hooked um, that's awesome yeah I mean the audacity of youth right like well if they're not going to answer me I just walk in and at 40 you might not do that but at 20 you might do that <laughs> you might do that although I've learned that I have a skill I didn't you know looking back you're like oh what mm -hmm. worked what didn't work oh what works is when I meet someone mm -hmm. and I can talk to them just like we're doing now you know like yeah that is a strength of mine that's a joy of mine I like talking to people I like meeting them and I can read people very easily and yeah 
and that's how I, that's how I get things done. That's how, yeah, that human connection. And, you know, I, I know now that that's really the way to get anything done for me. Like that's what works well as a, as a writer, well, as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, there's something to that because when we're, um, when we're texting back and forth, I mean, just you and I, when we're trying to schedule this time, you know, you like, wait a minute. Because I said move up, I think, you know, you're like, wait, wait, move back. You know, you just, if you could just do that in five minutes on the phone or in front of somebody, you can, you can understand these misunderstandings where you don't have to, I think we use emojis just to make sure people know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm happy with you, you know, uh -huh. like, hey, because you never know how to interpret different, yeah. but we, it's a real crutch to just be on text. It's. It, you can't, like you said, you could see his reaction mm -hmm. and be able to pitch something else right, right there. Yeah. Whereas an email would be like, no. <laughs> like, right. Well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is like 1990 and I'm sending him a letter through the mail with every pitch. All that was taking months. And so, right. yeah, I could like run through multiple pitches right there and, just, and see his reaction. And it's hard for someone it would be hard for someone to kick me out of the office. You know, here I am. Yeah. I'm wanting to write for you, you know, fill some space in your free magazine. So, yeah. You know. And he can see how much you want it. Yeah. You know, is this kid going to actually show up? Yeah. Oh, she might actually show up. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. Yeah. That's awesome. So after that, did were you hooked on magazines for a while? Like writing for that sort of <laughs> Not really. Uh, it was actually like... Um, it was a monthly, gosh, I guess it came out in paper. It was, it was a very cheaply made little, little thing. Uh, when I came back to the States, I took a journalism class. I wrote a few pieces for the class itself. Mm -hmm. And then I worked on, I worked for a monthly newspaper in Berkeley, the Berkeley Psychic Institute's uh, paper. <laughs> that was nice. And I actually, um, because of my arrangement with them, I was there every week and I started learning from like the ground up. So, okay. And that was great. So I, and, and my boss who was my age, but had gone to journalism school, she's the editor and she trained me. She's like, here's the editing marks and go, you know, Oh, you want to do some writing? Okay. Start with 500 word book reviews. Okay. Are you ready to write a longer piece? Okay. Now do a thousand word piece. Now do a 2000 word piece. So I got a little bit of mentoring from her, which was fabulous. And eventually I got to be an assistant editor there and manage mm -hmm. eight pages of that monthly um, newspaper and and in you know a very specific section with a specific mandate. And I got to wrangle the whole thing um, wow. and get other writers writing for me. Yeah, it was great. So I, I learned hands-on. I got that experience. And then when I finished school, I did a little bit of freelancing for some um, a few local publications. But I also had started writing fiction and okay. I, I kind of, I hit a, I hit a crossroads because a few things happened. One, I didn't get into journalism school and I'm like, let me get a master's in journalism. And I didn't get into journalism school and that was a big blow to my ego. Mm. Uh, and it made me reconsider what I really, 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 really wanted, <laughs> which was right. to, truly to write fiction. I had been dabbling, you know, ongoingly since I was about 18, 19 but never super seriously. It always felt like very far away. Like yeah. Some big dream, some way up there <laughs> above the cloud still, line. <laughs> yeah. It's still really hard back then. Yeah. I mean, even now I notice I, I mentor young people and even though the internet exists, 
it is not easy for people to find the right information for them at their level, at their skill set. They still need mentors. True. They still need teachers, just, I guess, partly why I'm in business as a, as a teacher and a coach. People yeah. want to be have tailored support because the wide World Wide Web is quite vast and very confusing, especially at the beginning stages. Um, so, and nothing ever expires. So right. I love it when you come across, you know, the the article that's going to answer your question. You're like, 2017? That's like 100 years old. <laughs> you right. know, like in, in internet years, it, it could be completely worthless. Yeah. What's Amazon doing now? Well, right. they need to, like yesterday's news. <laughs> right, right. I mean, there's some evergreen stuff, and I focus on that in my teaching. It's all the evergreen craft-oriented mm-hmm. things. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with all those um changes. And that's why I always tell all my students and clients, like, join a writing organization of some Mm. kind, be in community. Everyone is passing news around inside the community, right? Oh, did you hear Amazon made this change? Oh, Ingram made this change. Oh, oh, wow. Uh, The uh, author's union just fought and got this thing or, oh, check out what this is going on in copyright law or whatever. Like we're all passing it around and and that's great. And then that's how you stay up to date. You, you don't have to do it all yourself. Just join a yes. writing community, an organization, association in your genre or, or in your region, you know, and if multiple. I belong to several organizations so that I can mm-hmm. hear the news from different perspectives. And some yeah. organizations are better at, at keeping up. Like if you write romance at all in any form, adjacent or direct, join a romance writing community. They, they are, know everything. They know everything. They are up to date. <laughs> I've been part of the romance writing community for quite some time. Gosh, over almost 20 years now. They know the news first. They'll, they'll tell you the news first. Yep. <laughs> Even if you don't write their genre, you know, you just go to them. What are we doing? That's right. What's going on? <laughs> what are you yeah. all doing? Yeah. What's going on? Yeah. So is that what you did? Did you join a writer's group when you really became sort of serious? I mean, in yes. the, this is the 90s. So did you decide I'm going to see if I can be a writer full time right away? Or were you still no. working? Yeah, I was still working. I had a part-time job in an office in downtown Oakland. And I I was like, bing, I am serious about being a fiction writer. Okay, what now what? What well, does that mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I asked myself, so now what? I'm like, well, Beth, you learn really well in groups. You have been a good student your whole entire life. And you love learning from your peers. So I went to the local library, pre-internet. I went to a bulletin board, a real bulletin board, not a not an internet bulletin board, <laughs> and I found an announcement in there on the bulletin board looking for members for a critique group. So I joined a critique group. Yeah. Actually, right before I joined that critique group, I joined, first I found a group that just would get together at the local cafe and write. They're like, hey, oh, fine. choose a prompt, let's go writing, timed writing, go. And that was how I sort of stumbled on and wrote something that I decided, well, this is going to be my first novel just for the experience okay. of writing a novel. I knew I knew about training wheels. I knew about like it's okay, I can write a piece of crap, but I want to I want the experience of writing a novel. Okay. So I I started there. I found the book. So here's where books can be your mentors too. I found the book uh The Weekend Novelist. Oh. This is a great I've heard of this one. Yeah, it's 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 not it is a little bit it is geared towards literary writing. Because he teaches you how to write a story using the six uh, or seven tent 
um, main plot points. I don't even know if he uses the word plot points, but he has you brainstorming and then he has you deciding the six main plot points and then he has you starting to write uh, content for them. Okay. And it was a, it is designed for people who have a day job and want to work on the weekends. And it was perfect. That was my speed. Yeah. That's what yep. I, I gave myself that. And, and so I started doing that. And then I realized, oh, I need feedback because I knew that's how I would learn. Some, I don't know how I knew that. But, you know, from all the years of schooling, right, you get feedback. You're like, oh, OK, I could do that better. You know, you need people to help mm-hmm. you, guide you, people who are more experienced than you. So I joined this critique group in um, March of 1998 when I was just about turning 30. And it was great. It was great. People in there were 15, 20 years older than me, more experienced writers. And the way they had it set up is that you um, are going to turn in pages. Every time we met, which was twice a month, two writers were featured. So one writer got to uh, have their 30 pages critiqued and another writer got to have 15 pages critiqued. So when I joined... That's a lot. <laughs> yep, that's three chapters, uh, usually two to three chapters. And so yeah. when I joined and, and I said, yes, I like to stay, they're like, okay, this is how it works. In in three months, it'll be your turn. You know, they have a little schedule. They, they gave me time. You know, in three months, you're going to turn in 30 pages. Okay. Um, and, and at that time, someone would like drive them to different people's houses. Because again... Pre-email yep. as a thing for everyone. Kinkos. <laughs> That's right. So somebody else would photocopy them. I didn't even have to photocopy them. I could just get them to the one person and that person would photocopy them, drive them around the lo- local area because we're all local. And that is how everyone got their pages at first. Uh, so That's amazing. Yeah, the things you do. And, and I remember when I was up the very first time, I turned in my pages and I come to the group and one person starts. She says, Beth, your writing is really lovely, but you need to have conflict. And oh. I was like, oh, what? I have to make bad things happen to my dear characters? Like it was a personal affront, you know, that I had to do that. But it was a great, it was a great beginning because I, I struggled with how to put conflict in my fiction for quite some yeah. time. I mean, years. It took me a good, I don't know, four or five years Actually, it took me to, yeah, oh, about five years to figure that out. <laughs> it's not that easy. It isn't. I mean, because if you think of like the the books that we read in school and stuff, like even there's a couple classics where there's not a whole lot of conflict because the protagonist is just telling you things that are going on. Yeah. And so we leave school, I think, a lot of times where we're just like, so I guess that's what a story is. We're just going to tell you what's happening to this person. It's just, and I mean, I guess we could point out like modern movies or whatever, but that's not where we got our formal education. Our formal education is like these kind of novels that don't pertain to real books anymore. I mean, that's I guess right. modern books. Absolutely. <laughs> 19th century language, 19th century storytelling styles. Oh my God, Dickens. I mean, I grew up reading Dickens and and being enamored by his work and everyone holding him up, mm-hmm. but he does and not. Fitzgerald. I yeah, mean, yeah exactly. it's, it's great to read The Great Gatsby, but it's hard to like point out the conflict of the actual protagonist. Like, okay, he's talking about Tom and Daisy. Is that what the, somebody's going to get me for that? I think it's that, you know, like he's telling a story that doesn't really happen to him. Like yeah. nothing really affects him. 
I mean, look at Moby Dick. The main character <laughs> is not the narrator. So that's a, yeah. a that's a 19th century style of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. even um, even the Dracula book, it's it's telling a story of oh, he's going around Europe having experiences, but really he's telling you a story about somebody else. Right. So, right. This is not He's nice and safe, yeah. you know. So I'm I'm not surprised that we all struggle with this like bad things must happen to your protagonist because now all of a sudden we need to be in that close up point of view, right? Then we call it something else. Deep point of view. Of Deep point of view. Yeah. Yeah, which I teach well, now. Yeah. 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 And yet, but it doesn't come easy. No. It's not no. instinctive. We don't learn how to write fiction in school. They I, well, no. generally unless you go to a really awesome creative school or you're homeschooled or I don't know. I mean, and I teach my my nephews how to how to do fiction, but I'm their auntie, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I teach them. I I you know I'm always creating stories with them. And right, stuff. right. Uh, yeah, I learning fiction was like harder than any of the other skill sets I had to learn in writing. And maybe mm. it's just because I hadn't ever been taught. I am pretty much self taught. I don't have a degree. Yeah. I just have the school of hard knocks and I have, I have the education of my peers really. And, and those, yeah, you know, that's cool. learn so much, so much. And I'm still in a critique group. I'm not in that same critique group where in fact, I met my husband. He also Ooh. joined that critique group. Yeah. And we were buddies. We were critique partners for months before we ever started. That's dating. a romance novel right there. It is. It is. <laughs> except we joke about how the conflict lasted like 24 hours. It wasn't a lot of <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to make more conflict. <laughs> that would be somebody gets published and the other person doesn't. That's well, enough. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I mean, I we pace off each other. Like I was the That's first cool. one to finish a novel, and then he's like, "Oh, I want to do that too." Because when I met him, though, he had like a hundred short stories written. He's very oh, wow. prolific. Yeah, he's a prolific, and he's a singer songwriter. So he had like two hundred songs written. Oh, he's like overachiever. Stuff. Well, he's just a he's just an insta creative. He's just it just nice. pours out of him, and, and he had some really good early childhood training and and reinforcement and awesome. You know where I that's cool though. As much as I had, yeah, creative parents and creative background, I didn't have any direct modeling. Like I didn't grow mm -hmm. up around my great grandmother, so I didn't see her sit mm -hmm. down and write. I heard that she did that, but I didn't see it. Right. And my parents were busy, you know, supporting four kids and doing all of that. And um, they didn't have an artistic discipline, even though they were both right. artistic in so many right, ways. Right, right, right. Yeah. So learning even just how to sit down and write every day. I mean, that I already had sort of an instinctive understanding about it, but it took me a long time to develop the skill set and the whole process, the whole ritual of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Took a long time. And how was um? Did you start writing science fiction right away, or mysteries? Or was that a whole different fantasy. process? Fantasy. Fantasy. Oh, you wrote yeah. fantasy first. Okay. Yeah, fantasy first. Well, I should say my first novel that that experiment that was historical fiction, which okay. which was just an arbitrary choice because I love Paris. I'm like 1850s Paris. <laughs> and why not? Why not? I love the city. I love that time period. It's when the city was being redesigned to be the modern mm -hmm. city it is today. And, and then my husband wanted to travel. When we started dating, he's like, well, I might go on the Peace Corps or we stay together. Because if I go on the Peace Corps, we're going to probably split up. But if, we, but if we stay together, we have to go overseas because I'd really need you know, oh, a no. life change. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> Mr. Bell. No, because I'd already lived in Paris once and Quebec also when I was in high school. So I'm like, sign me up. 
Awesome. So we went to Paris for two years and um, all of that to say, there's a reason I was saying that. Oh, so you chose historical fiction. I chose historical fiction because I already was in love with Paris. So we get to Paris. <laughs> I finished my novel. It took me five years, this, this experiment. And right away, I write basically a romantic adventure, time travel to the future. I write that when we get home in six weeks. The first one took me five years. The second one took me six weeks. And I discovered the Christopher, no, not Christopher, uh, Heroes, The Writer's Journey, the book, okay. The Writer's Journey, where he models the story process on top of The Hero's Journey. I, I, I stumble on that. I use that as my guide and I write this new manuscript in six weeks. And, but it was all over the place. And I had joined the Romance Writing Communities group and it was so much fun. And I discovered a lot about myself through that process, but I, it didn't quite gel. It was just like, let me, it was a new experiment in writing fast, following my instincts, following the hero's journey. And then when I was done with that and realized I just couldn't sell it, and it was hard to edit because I didn't know what it was. It was a big light bulb after that when I cast about for my next book. I realized, oh, I love fantasy. I've been really reading folk tales and fairy tales since I was a kid. Remember those stories right. of magic? I know. I will pick up the story I wrote when I was 20 that was three pages long. That was the start of an adventure of a young, heroic woman called Henrietta the Dragon Slayer. Nice. Written, yeah, I'd written three, three pages when I was 20 in this little writing class I took outside of UC Berkeley at the little junior college. But I could not finish it. I had no idea what to do next at that time. So, okay. Yeah, so now here I am. Fast forward, I've written two manuscripts. I understand now a lot of the story structure, the macro mm -hmm. story structure. I also right. kind of start to understand conflict a little bit more because of the inherent part of, of what the hero's journey is doing. And right. so I take those three pages of Henrietta the Dragon Slayer and I start, I, I write the novel. I can do it now. I'm like 35 by now. So, you know, 15 years, fast forward, I can write it. And so that's the first novel I ended up publishing took me about 10 years to like learn how to polish it and everything. And I published that in 2011, January, 2011. And which one was that? Uh, Henrietta, the dragon oh, there slayer. She, there she is. Right there, there she is. And then now Ooh. it's a trilogy. Yep. Cool. And now I'm also working on the next batch of stories for her. And which is going to be. Did you know that it was going to be YA when you started writing? No, I did not. Okay. I had to decide. I figured that out and made that decision in edits. Okay. And I had to really think about it and study it and like, okay, she's 17. She's trying to figure out what to do with her life. I think we can put this in YA. And yeah. that was like early 2000s then? 2011, I published it. Yeah, so yeah. YA was really, was that a stable genre at that point? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I yeah. mean, I think that's awesome. Like, I love that there is actual YA now because you know yeah. when we were growing up there was there is this okay for children to read i don't know I've, i read so many books that probably weren't okay <laughs> for children to read. <laughs> me too i was like the 80s parents were just like hey she's reading yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever um so that's awesome so henrietta the the dragon slayer was that the first you didn't ever end up publishing the other two no no the other two are published okay yeah the second one is henrietta and the uh and the dragon stone and the third one is Henrietta and the Battle of the Horse Mesa. So oh, the trilogy, that one. But your yeah. first, like your first historical fiction and no, your time no, traveling, the, no. those were just, you no. left those in the journal. No, they're, they're over there. Actually, the <laughs> I lost part of the time travel story, which is too bad. But but that story 
it'll get written eventually because a lot of those elements, I had a space station in that story. Mm-hmm. I had a time travel element that was based in science because my husband is a high school physics teacher. And by then, pretty within the first year of meeting him, he was like diving into physics as a hobby at first. Then eventually he became a teacher. Um, so we were talking about, oh, what could make time travel really happen if, you know, X, Y, Z was true about the I laws of like physics? I feel like you guys have really interesting conversations. <laughs> we do. We're either talking about science or story or our Or cats, how to mesh both of them, right? Or how to mesh both or publishing or editing or how to teach a certain concept. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you hit the... Um... The publishing world, like right when uh, the Kindle was coming out, yep. ebooks were okay. Did you yep. go traditional or did you go nope. self? I've been self the whole time. Okay. Um, although I what made have you a, decide that? Uh, failure. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, too hard. <laughs> no, well, never getting a bite. I mean, I queried yeah, hard. Yeah. I queried Henrietta the Dragon Slayer hard. And I was getting rejections that I didn't. That were saying things like, this, is, this isn't for us, but what else you got? got do you have any romance? So I was querying. Oh, because you just have to. <laughs> so I was querying agents that represented a broad, you know, romance plus fantasy plus this plus that. Okay. Because I was in the romance writing community and I was trying to write romance. Right. And, and there are romantic elements in everything I write. Um, and I didn't know it at the time. But they were really saying, Beth, you're good enough. Give us something we can sell, you know. But I didn't, yeah. I, I was I was married to my fantasy. I, I didn't have romance chops yet. And I, I just that's couldn't. also hard. Like, yeah. well, write something else. Like, that's the advice. I mean, I got one of that advice. My husband actually served Os- Orson Scott Card one night. Um, I didn't know who he was. I was 19 year old. And he's like, I met this, uh, this science fiction writer, you know. He's Spanish, so I'm trying to do his accent. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he was like, so I told him a story about how, you know, you got, I basically got scammed <gasps> selling my manuscript to Publish America. Didn't know what was happening. You know, they sent me a contract, thought it was all cool, whatever. His advice was, write another book. And I was yeah. like, dang it. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I just want to sell this one. You yeah. Know? So it's hard for them to be like. Just write another book, write a romance, please. Mm-hmm. But I mean, 2011, you're, Harry Potter's huge. Uh, mm-hmm. The vampire guy, uh, what was those? Um, what were those? Wolf. Ah, I were, I'm going to slap myself when I can't remember what it was. They were like this big trilogy of. Yeah, I don't remember. Not zombie. Anyway, yeah. they were big. I mean, yeah. fantasy was he- it was and kind of still is huge. Yeah. So that kind of surprises me that they weren't looking for more fantasy. Yeah, you know, maybe it's a crowded marketplace. And in the so I love NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month, mm-hmm. and I ha- I used it at the beginning, and then I would start to deviate and just use it via Nano Rebel. So November of 2010, I sent out a query letter every single day of November. I just made that oh, wow. my NaNoWriMo. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so I started getting bites in January of 2011. But by then I had decided to self-publish and I had (laughs) I published like toward the end of the month. And then like in the beginning of February, I get a really lovely like, oh, I would love to represent you. And I had to write her back and say, I am already published. Would you be willing to represent a self-published author? Because agents were experimenting. And Mm -hmm. she's like, well, I already have one indie author. I don't quite know how it's going to go. Sorry. And I'm like, all right, but I'm not that sad actually because this has been so fulfilling, you know. And yeah. I already 
self-published three nonfiction books by then, I think, like one anthology and one, my first how-to book, The Writer's Adventure Guide, and my uh, first ebook only, Overcome Writer's Block. Yeah. So I'd had three publishing experiences through the indie process already. And I think I might have even, yeah, and, and the first anthology I did, I shepherded the whole thing. I was the- wow. Yeah. So I, I was like, I love getting the books out in the world, as you can see from my early childhood experience. Yeah. <laughs> if yes. I can't sew the binding on the book, then I want to be able to like, <laughs> or stay for it. Then I want to find be... Beth in the factory. That's right. <laughs> but I love POD because actually my first anthology was before POD. And then when POD, Print on Demand came out, I was like, oh, score. Oh, I yeah. love this. <laughs> yes. You know, I can create a public, a professional professional looking book that I don't even have to ship and someone can buy it. You know, I could, I have, yeah. as you can see some copies behind me, I have a little shelf over here of our books and um, I love it. I love yeah. it so much. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't, doesn't know that you used to have to buy a certain amount of books, 2000 printed, books, 2000 yes. books, and they would just be in your garage. And I remember asking my parents, like if they would, help me do that. And I, they, it was, you know, divorce started happening and all that stuff. And they were like, no, it, no. Cause 2000 books, y'all was a lot of books back then. And I can't even remember how many thousands of dollars it was to see. And I mean, if imagine these days, you know, if you sort of mess up the formatting or something shifts or you can upload it right away and change it. No big deal. That was not how it was back then. Oh <laughs> God, no. no. You had to make sure it was all the way you wanted it. Check and double check and triple check and quadruple check. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Get a lot of pairs of eyes on things, you know? Yeah. So yeah, fantasy. And then by the time I finished the third fantasy novel, I'm just looking on my shelf. Um, it took me maybe about, that was about a 10 year span. I can't even remember. Mm -hmm. I've lost track. And then something shifted and some of my critique partners challenged. I came up with a really fun, silly idea for a mm -hmm. romance story. And then they said, well, why don't we all write gargoyle romance stories? <laughs> We're going back to Paris. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I had traveled in France. I saw this amazing gargoyle sitting by itself on a church. Oh, poor guy. And I was like, that is weird, right? Because usually gargoyles have the spout and they're on the edge and they're like perched and they, they look a little menacing. But this one was like on a wall right next to a church, not looking menacing at all. I'm like, What's the story? Because I love cathedrals. I love France. So I, um, my other two critique partners are like, let's all write novellas. Beth, you're going to write a novella. Because I hadn't yet written a full romance story yet. And I was ready by then. And I and I did. And we created a little anthology. We each wrote oh, different cute. stories. And that became the first story of my little five uh, touchstone story books, um, stories, little novellas that are you know, kind of related in these interesting ways, the way romance does it. And I've even written a full length romance novel, which romantic suspense, which is unpublished, but it will, it will come out at some point. Um, yeah. And then, and then I was casting about for something to do in 2016. I'm like, should I continue with the romantic suspense, paranormal romantic suspense? Right. Or, or I have this other idea, this like space station investigator idea. I don't know. And so we went on a road trip to a screenplay conference down in LA because I'm up here in the San Francisco area. We get there. I go to a, a talk by how to write the science fiction screenplay. It's fabulous. Okay. And he's like, and I'm going to get you to pitch. So he teaches us the little 
pitch. Like when something happens, then bad thing, you know, that, that's not exactly it. So kind he, of, kind, <laughs> of, kind, kind of. of, right. <laughs> when so-and-so has this situation, you know, they are forced to do blah, blah, blah. So uh, I take up the challenge because I always do and things like that. And I write something down and I raise my hand and I say it to him. And he's like, oh, oh, CSI in space. And I was like, and, and he's like, there's your high concept. I'm like, thank you. Yes. And that was such a gelling moment, having to write the little hmm. pitch, getting that high concept from the teacher. I'm like, that's going to be my next stories, batch of stories. And, and that was in 2016. And that's uh, Janie McAllister. Janie McAllister, space station investigator. <laughs> I love how you're still putting your French, though. Bijou de l'étoile. I cannot do. I have to use my <laughs> you French. Cannot say, <laughs> you cannot say. You know, French will probably be the last one to die just because they hold on to that language so much. So <laughs> yes. Were, very good point. Oh, my God. Totally. We will all be speaking it again. That's right. That and, well, maybe like a French-Spanish thing because Spanish, I'm using Spanish a lot in my stories and French. I throw in some other words. I've had to look up things and because I, I have stories taking place on space stations. So there are these international, yeah. yeah, international cast of characters. And now in the book I'm working on now, which is book five, they're in a, in a place that has its own patois. So I'm totally mixing languages yeah. and I haven't quite figured out what the base language is going to be, but people are coming in from everywhere. So I have people speaking little words of, of different languages and a lot of Spanish because I think Spanish is an easy language to learn. And so that would make sense that it would be easily spread around. Mm -hmm. And it's a pretty flexible. So how do people respond to you having other languages in your books? Nobody said a darn thing. No, really? Yeah. Okay. So almost every single one of my books has other languages because I study linguistics. I love <gasps> languages. I lived in <sighs> France for a while. And I have two reviews and like, we get it. She speaks Spanish. <laughs> so oh, funny. how snarky. I was like, Exc excuse me. She doesn't just speak Spanish. She's Argentinian. So you can just <laughs> are you? Anyway, are your characters? So, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're all different. Um, How different, cool! You know, in uh, nationalities, but I just find it funny. Some Americans really struggle with it. That's so interesting. Yeah, I, I had. I even hired a sensitivity reader, or it was more of like an exchange, who is um, an immigrant from. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get this wrong, but from a Latin American country, mm -hmm. and. She's an immigrant lawyer in San Francisco, and she was very kind in pointing out some things that I could do better, including don't italicize your foreign words at all. Mm -hmm. they yeah, just, and so I didn't. And I always provide the translation in the thoughts of the character. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, nobody, you know, I made up a lot of words for my fantasy, but not heavily so. I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe nobody said anything. Nobody said anything, and maybe because it is like science fiction and fantasy, where people mm -hmm. are expecting different words for things. Uh, I make up a lot of words for the tech I use. You know, I make up. Tech. Yeah, you got to make it up. Yeah, <laughs> you got to make up make a, it a name up. for it. You sometimes just sit at the screen and like, what are you doing? I'm trying to think of a word <laughs> to name this thing. <laughs> Let me what do some research. <laughs> My husband always makes fun of us English speakers because he's like, what's the name of this? And I was like, what does it do, honey? He's like, open cans, uh, can opener. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah, he's figured out that we pretty much name it what it does. What it does. We're a very practical language. English is such, I mean, I don't think English will die either. It'll it'll shift, I think. Oh, what's your take on that? What do you think English is, is going to do? Is it going to shift? 
Well, it's already shifted a ton since I've been I mean, writing. It's tons of different languages, right? Different, yeah. There are tons of different Englishes in the world. Yes. Uh, I mean, I always pay attention to the new words that the Webster Dictionary puts in. I'm going to, I should have prepared for this. Had I known we were going to go down this, but it, it, they put in some funny words this year. Um, uh, some of them had to do with COVID, but some of them are just like, well, wasn't that already a word? Dang it. I wish I could remember. Oh, well, we'll I have to circle back because I have to go back to that. Yeah. So by looking at the words that are being integrated into Webster's, and I suppose we could also look at the OED, the Oxford English Dictionary. What does that tell you about where we're going English-wise, language-wise, but or do you assess it more from like a cultural perspective? To me, well, American-wise, I think that um, we're just going cultural-wise. Mm -hmm. But you're right, American versus England versus mm -hmm. France, it's mm -hmm. all very different. The French are very, they have a much more formal way to keep their language structure, you know, yes. <laughs> hold on to that. Thing. Yeah, they've got their whole academia yes. says, you know. Um, oh my gosh, my kids went to one of their schools. You know, I mean, we're just like, did you study linguistics? Did you no. ever do any formal studying? So I the mean, linguistics community is like, language is alive and it mm -hmm. will change. Yeah. Oh, yes. Janky is now a real word. <gasps> Ooh, I'll have to check yes. that out. Yeet. Yeet is now a real word. What? How do you spell that? Uh, Y-E-E-T. That's the, that's the children. That's the young ones. I have not heard that one. Interesting. Because oh, you don't have a nine-year-old in the house? I do house. not. Ask, Although, your ask your nephew. Uh, my nephew is nine. I will ask there him. There you go. Yep. Okay, this is, what, this is what caught me off guard. Cringe. How is that not a word yet? Right, but maybe the way it's used, they add a definition. So embarrassing, awkward. Yes. That usage is different, I think. Like, is it? Yeah. I or think, it used, it's a verb, right? In our, when we were kids. Yeah. We actually cringe and that is, okay. Baller is now a word. Okay. Did you ever watch MacGyver? I love the modern MacGyver, I, but not the old-fashioned MacGyver. Okay, I, I watched it when I was growing up. Yeah. MacGyver is slang now to make, form, or repair something. Well, you know, that's, of course. A I MacGyver mean, something. We have been MacGyvering things ever since, what, the 80s? And now it's Duck finally tape. in the dictionary. <laughs> I mean, I do remember watching the show vaguely. Nothing specific, but the concept. Actually, I consider my heroine... She MacGyvers all the time. I love that aspect, cultural aspect. So yeah, a uh, false negative and false positive are now in the oh, dictionary. Interesting. I mean, yeah. those were in usage, but I think they have very specific meanings now. Oh, this ooh, you found this one. Is the one. This yeah. is the one that I didn't know. Pumpkin spice. What? What is that doing in the That's dictionary? Not a word. No. <laughs> what? That it's even two two words. Okay. Okay, I, I don't know why this has to be in the dictionary now. It's like you take one word and you take another word. It's like, you know, anyway. And mojo. So mojo now means it, it, what it is is Spanish. That's mojo. Ah. is a sauce marinator seasoning. So mojo, you know, you get your mojo back. That's right. not what th this no. is. This is mojo. What does it mean? But they don't have the like, on their website, they don't have the pronunciation. So. But just going from like what it is, what the definition is. So, what's the usage now, or what do they say the meaning is? It says a sauce marinade. Oh. So it must be the the Spanish one more mojo, because that's not mojo. Mojo is like your groove. Yeah, right? <laughs> like yeah. Your, your confidence. So. Oh, that's so interesting. So what's that going to? Yeah, I think I, I think for writers, how do you spell mojo versus mojo? The same. <laughs> it's spelled the same. It's spelled the same. 
Well, we have so many <laughs> so, words in English like that, right? But yeah, it's just a um, usage. Yeah, you're just gonna have to figure it out from the the sentence. Like, That's what right. People are talking about. That's right. From context. I mean, America has a lot of now has a lot of Spanish. Yeah. Um, I grew up with Spanish. I grew up in, in the wine in country. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't study linguistics, although I was o- almost an anthro major, but I did teach English to foreigners mm, starting learn a lot. Yeah. And I speak French fluently. So mm-hmm. those two things combined have made me very aware of sort of the mechanical aspects of, of English and the way it can be put together and taken apart. And, um, and I have to also say, I listen to French radio almost daily, and they are using a lot more English words in spoken French than when I lived there in the 90s and even when I lived there in, in 2001. Yeah, they are breaking down a bit. Do you listen to the, the French radio or the French podcast? French radio. I'm listening to okay. France Inter, which is sponsored by the French government. You know, That, that is interesting. And listening to comedians and I'm listening to them talk about culture. Uh, the, the comedy is teaching me a lot. Uh, yeah, so, and and of course, they're bringing in Arabic words all the time mm-hmm. into their um, language, and it, it is shifting. I, I wonder what, how the Académie Française is, like, dealing with that. <laughs> Anyone who hasn't lived in France is like, what? <laughs> but they're, they're just so, they're so proud of their language. I really think America and French, you know, we have this sort of love-hate relationship and i think it's because we're so like oh you my know, God. we just we we're so individually love our countries we think we're right <laughs> all the time and yeah then we come against each other and we're like no we are right <laughs> that's right you know like uh, you know, cousins or siblings i suppose uh, yes as we should right <laughs> yeah 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 I'm, so do you have uh, go yeah. ahead well i was gonna ask you questions but you i wanted to <laughs> just know what you as a, from your linguistics background and perspective mm. As English changes as a writer, because I'm finding myself teaching writing to people who are coming from formal education or even business backgrounds, oh. and then learning how to write fiction, it's like they have to relearn that English is way more flexible than they think it is. That's true. Yeah, I I mean, I really do believe that language is alive and that we can't, we, we can only harness it for so long. Um, I studied in California and then in Madison, Wisconsin, and there was a lot of work with um, Native American languages. And then just the, they had to get to the point where they accepted that the language shifted a ton, you know, between the generations because of um, them living in America, ha- the kids learning English, you know, and just everything just really, it almost became a whole different language, right? And I, I assume that all of our languages will do that very soon. I, I just don't think that we can hold on to our same language. I mean, I didn't realize being an American until I moved overseas at 19 that things like moccasins and what, what is it that my husband, uh, all the Jewish, the Yiddish words, they didn't, <gasps> people don't know those. Right. You know, that's part of our culture. Um, yeah. The bar mitzvah, the... Chutzpah, tushi. The chutzpah. Yeah. yeah, there's so much of, of Yiddish from from the... Germanic Eastern European Jews, which was my background, actually. My mm-hmm. father grew up around that. Yeah, it's just in the normal uh, zeitgeist. Ooh, there's a German word. Oh, there you go. Like yeah. Mazel Tov. So Mazel tov. you remember when Black Eyed Peas had that um, that uh, song where they said Mazel Tov. And my, 
My husband, for the longest time, thought they were saying muscle top. I was like, that's not, no. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't know what it meant because uh-huh. he didn't. Well, Spain kicked all the Jews out in the 1600s. Yeah. So. so there you go. You missed out. You know, <laughs> you missed out on the culture. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think America's always been more open to that. And I love seeing it in literature. I love it when people bring in their cultural um I guess linguistics or their dialects and things. I, I I personally love seeing that. Yeah, I do too. If if I have to look it up and be like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. 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 And I think if as writers, if we can make it clear to the reader, then ignore the haters. Okay. Just ignore the haters. Yeah. 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 yeah I love uh, if people can write dialogue really well in an accent, that's difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult to do it and not, not be like, too much for the reader, but I love trying to hear what people sound like. Yes, yes, um, and that's why I love audiobooks too. I haven't, I haven't gotten my books out in audiobooks, but I love, I love that it's becoming a big job where people who can do different accents, oh, give me those people any day. I mean, I've, oh yes, so talented. It, yeah, it's so talented. I heard mm-hmm. one woman do a Welsh accent and then a British accent. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> Yes. Oh, that is so I just amazing. geek out over that stuff. I think <laughs> people are super talented, but yeah. So when did you start? You had nonfiction books up. Were you already, were you teaching people before you came out with fiction books? Like how, how did you get into teaching? Were you just like, I learned how to do this and I want to help you not have to go <laughs> the way I did. <laughs> well, actually, and that's how I got into teaching. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to save you pain. Yeah, that's right. Um, well, I was helping writers before I realized it was a thing. Like my friends were asking mm. me for help on their papers when I was like 18, 19. And actually when I was 19, I worked at the tutoring center at UC mm. Berkeley. And then, um, like I explained, my husband wanted to go overseas when we right. met. So we got married in 2000 and then we both got trained as English as foreign language teachers in one of those Fun. intensive four week programs where they throw you a little bit of theory and then they literally put you in front of students by the end of week one so you're like "Ah, how do I teach these absolute beginners something in English you know I mean they've taught you some very simple very very solid structural ways to get students practicing English even when they're beginners so there I was in the year before we traveled to France I was teaching at part-time at a, a school that taught English to foreigners. People are coming mm-hmm. in for a week, a month, you know, a short stay. I'm teaching 16, 18, 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, you know, who are here for the summer or for a, a little intensive program to to learn uh, English, to polish their English even, to pass the TOEFL, which is um, what people have to take to go to, like, universities here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So I was teaching all levels. So there I was. I was teaching teaching beginners, intermediate, advanced. Um, and at one point, the the coordinator, she's like, Beth, you have to teach uh, short story writing to our advanced students. You know, they're fluent. They need something new. And I'm like, no, I can't do it. And she's like, why not? You're writing a novel. And I'm like, but I don't have an English degree. And she's like, who cares? You're writing a novel. You can do it. <laughs> and by then I was on Henrietta the Dragon Slayer. I was on my third novel. Okay. And I was in it and I was committed and I was excited. I might have even started editing it by then. 
So I pulled all this awesome curriculum, some from that book, The Weekend Novelist, some that I had just created on my own that helped me. And I taught people how to write stories. So that was my first. Nice. Yeah, it was so fun. And I would wrap little grammar lessons in there. Like, we're going to teach you how to do uh, future perfect, right? Because that's a very advanced grammar thing. Like, what? Future perfect. So I could wrap it into the storytelling process. Right. I'm going to teach you character development. All right, everyone open their pockets. You know, we're going to, I was inspired by Tim O'Brien's The Things They Carried, which is a fabulous collection of short stories and a fabulous story itself. So that was a great way to illustrate character, for example. And it's still an exercise I use today. And it's in my book, Plan Your Novel Like a Pro, because uh, it's just fabulous exercise. So mm -hmm. I started teaching then. And so I was, what was I, about 30, 31, 32 years old? Yeah, um, 31, I think. We go to France and on the side, so I get a, a regular job because we're allowed to work inside the system. But then I also started tutoring English to mm -hmm. um, people there, mostly Chinese and Japanese people, not the French. I did not I don't really get along with the French. I, I just don't. I can speak their language. <laughs> I can appreciate their culture. But I didn't have it. I, but I'm a little they're, too... They're special. They're, they're special. special. Um, <laughs> I can appreciate their, their espresso. But, um, so then when I came back home, I had office jobs and stuff for a few years. But then I it kind of... I fell into creativity coaching. Someone introduced okay. us... In, us writers, a creativity coach came in to help people overcome their anxiety around pitching to agents. And, yeah. um, and then he's like, Oh, and by the way, I, I teach creativity coaching, come be a guinea pig client. And then, or you can join the training. So I first was a guinea pig client. Then I joined the training and then I quit the office job. So I'm like, nice. I realized I didn't want to be supporting anyone else's vision anymore. I wanted to be supporting my own. I wanted to mm -hmm. be writing more. And I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I, I knew. I was like, I want to be a teacher. But I also knew I never wanted to be inside of anybody's organization. Not classroom. <laughs> yeah, no class. Like my husband was pursuing high school teaching. He's now been teaching high school physics for years, for like 16, 17 years. And during that whole time, I've been running a business, teaching writers and coaching yeah. writers. So I love that. I love being outside the system, <laughs> making up my own things and, yep. and helping people and traveling. I've taught overseas. I taught at conferences. And That's cool. But, my, so yeah. before the internet was like, I mean, we kind of forget, like there were forums before 2010. We had all those forums, remember? <laughs> the first time, our first taste. Did you do local first? I started local. Uh, I, I okay. made a beautiful flyer. I paid a flyer service that would um, put it up from, you know, over from that end of town, from the town next door to, to my downtown here in Oakland. And, um, you know, that was like 120 bucks or 150 bucks, whatever. And so I could announce I'm having a six week class or whatever it was. I can't even remember. It was in my living room and I'd ban two of those. Uh, and and then, you just opened your doors to strangers. You just... Yeah. Okay. I, would, I usually talk You're to very them. Californian. I am very California. The first time I would talk to them on the phone, you know, I can vet, you know, someone who wants mm -hmm. to write a book is not going to. And they're paying you. Right? And they're paying me. Like... And that could be some crazy person. Um, it's very super niched. And, and then after that, I started, um, I think I ran, I started going to other like writing groups here, the romance writing mm -hmm. community, the California writers club. Those are my new places where I would like do a little free talk little book fairs, conferences, 
I gave my first talk in in 2006 or 2005, I can't remember, at, a, at the Romance Writers of America in Washington, D.C. And they picked my talk, Writer's Adventure Guide. So I had to hustle and get that book done <laughs> in 2006. That was my first <clears throat> big book. Yeah. And then um, I started a group over the phone. I did tele teleconferencing as a teaching method wow. also before video teaching. And I started video teaching um, that's eight years ago. Yeah. Skype? Uh, no, I never use Skype. I you only, never use Skype? No, I use Zoom, actually. I, I've been using oh, Zoom for around? quite some years. Yeah. Interesting. I did use uh, Google Meeting or something. Uh, yeah, my first coaching call with a coach was over Skype. And it was a... Uh, Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like 2012. <laughs> yeah. I never used Skype. Let's see. When did I start? I started the current version of the group. I have a group program for people who want to edit their manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And I started that on Zoom about seven years ago, I think. It's hard That's to keep cool. track. Yeah. And before that, I had an earlier version that was over the telephone that was for fiction and nonfiction. So I specialized about eight, seven or eight years ago into fiction. Okay. And genre fiction. And now this year, I've just recently, because of my podcast and everything, I'm just, I'm now specializing in science fiction and fantasy. Even okay. more super niching. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think what, what this tells people is like you, there's still a lot of people out there. If you want to teach writing, there's a lot of people who want to learn from you, right? Yeah. There's, you just sort of have to put yourself out there and start and be okay with starting small you know I was coaching someone yesterday like just start in one little spot yeah and then go you know bigger and bigger I think because we have the world web we think we have to go out into the universe no you don't have to you don't have to and actually that reminds me I had a meetup and I would meet at my local library and I would run a meetup every month and I did that for easily a year. I also joined a local networking community as soon as I started my business. I knew I needed, again, a group, just like I did with writing. I joined a local networking group that meant every week. So I had a place to go and learn how to do the 30-second and the 60-second spiel. That was all new for me and learn how to do networking and learn how to represent, like how to talk about what I do. It's not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I was just talking to a, a colleague of mine who who interviewed me for her podcast. She's up in like Nova Scotia or something. And she went into her local library and she pitched them some ideas. And then she got a series of workshops. And that is how she's starting her business. And it was fabulous. I, I saw what she's teaching. It looks awesome. I mean, who doesn't want to be in a room, an actual yeah. room with a writing teacher and learn? Um, I also... In my bay, in the San Francisco Bay Area, there's a lot of stuff. So, like, I went to this place called the Writing Salon. And this was before I had any published curriculum, anything out. And I asked to teach there. And they said, well, do you have a book? Anything published? And I was like, no, but I'm a teacher. And they're like, sorry. So I, like, volunteered and I went to a class. But I didn't have the cliche or not cliche, cachet. There we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't have the cachet yet. I mean, now I could if I wanted to. Right. Um, so there's other ways you can network with other teachers. You can, I mean, I'm, I'm mentoring folks now. So right, anybody has right. any questions, I'm happy to talk to them. <laughs> so now you do group coaching or do you do individual as well? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, you, but you've niched down to fantasy and science fiction. Yes. Yes. But can it be fan like, 
is it niched even more like YA fantasy or fantasy romance, but it just has to have fantasy or science fiction elements? Yeah, it's just because I'm. I, it's kind of almost happened by default. 90% mm. of the people I've been attracting have already been science fiction okay. or fantasy writers or urban fantasy or one of my clients is writing an animal fantasy and they're all talking animals. Another is doing an epic fantasy. Another is yeah. doing like a mashup with thriller and suspense. I write mystery science fiction, right? So I'm, I love mashups. Oh, bring me up, bring it on. The stranger, the better. If you don't know what genre you're writing, but it has elements of science fiction and fantasy, bring it to me. I'll help you figure it out. I'll help you yeah. hone it down and to make it sing and be its unique thing. It's, it's becoming something new. Maybe you're inventing a new genre. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you say and admit that like sometimes we can write things and we don't really know what it is. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I didn't know when I started uh, my Janie McAllister series what it was or like what it wanted to be. Is it science fiction with mystery and romance or is it mystery first with a sprinkled in? And and also, you know, there's like, what does it want to be? And what do I want it to be? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and there's that dance. And I realized, well, I would definitely want it to be science fiction. So I had to work harder to bring in all the things that gave it a science fiction that answered the question, could this story happen somewhere else? If the answer is yes, you're not, you, you need more. <laughs> you need more of the yeah. things that make it unique. Same with my YA fantasy. With everything I write, I'm like, how do I make this truly be embedded in its time and place and culture and assumptions? And, and I love that. I love that so yeah. much. Yeah. So I, I think anyone who's, is, even if you're not new, you know, if you're going into fantasy or science fiction, it definitely has tropes that if you want it to be very successful in that genre, you need to understand those, those things, right? Like you said, I mean, somebody who's writing something about science fiction might not know that if this could happen, you know, like if you take what Elon Musk or whoever Bezos is doing right now, and this could have like, it's not enough. Like you need to get even further, further into that, you know? Absolutely. So where can people find you if they are like, oh, well, maybe I need to figure this out before I take it out into the world? Sure. So really the best, best the best place is to go to my website, bethbarani.com. So that's B-E-T-H-B-A-R-A-N-Y.com. You can also find me um, anywhere using that name. No one else has that name on Twitter, um, Amazon. I have a blog, uh, which I am going to say it's writersfunzone.com. Go there. Lots of resources. And yeah, reach out to me yeah. if you want to chat. I also, uh, can I give a little plug to my... Yes, podcast? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is called How to Write the Future. So you could also go to howtowritethefuture.com. Uh, I am catering to science fiction and fantasy writers and offering up tips and I'm bringing in the tools of not only the tools of storytelling, but also the tools of foresight and futures planning. Because mm. I've been trained now in strategic foresight, which I just adore. I love so much. Um, so how can we tell positive stories? That's really yeah. my, not utopian, but positive stories about the future. How do we do that? How do we do it in a way that's convincing and delicious and readers are like, ooh, I want that. So, and yes. we can still, so that's what I'm attempting. You can decide whether or not I've done that. Uh, you know, it's not perfect, the worlds I create, but I think it's important for us also to take a positive stand in the world. So that's what I'm doing with my podcast. And um, I'll be inviting guests in soon, but now I do invite writers if you want a story success clinic interview where I will help you on air. And I do those little, little coaching call 
mm-hmm. part of the podcast to help you showcase myself as a teacher and a coach and, and help you along the way. And yeah, so that's what I'm doing at how to write that's the awesome. future.com. That's awesome. I mean, I think that's an excellent resource for people to get to know you even better. I think you can learn a lot from listening to other coaching sessions and then signing up for your own coaching session and see, I'm trying to convince all my listeners. It's, you don't have to do this alone. There are people out yeah. there who will, we can get yeah. together. Yeah. And I think you're a perfect example of, of going out, finding that writing community and learning and yeah. then teaching, right? Yeah. Like the back and forth always. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're doing too. That's wonderful. We're trying. We talk about language. Okay, we love language. Love well, language. I will have I'll have all your links in the show notes thank as you. well, and people will be able to click on those and go see you. But thank you so much, Beth, for coming and talking to oh, us today. Kat, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I loved it. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.